thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Hey everyone, it's so good to connect with you again for our final week in the Summer Jam series. Wasn't that song amazing? What a wonderful world, sang by our very own Louis Strickland, actually Luke Strickland. But you know, I don't know about you, but I think our guys and girls have done a phenomenal job uh, over this season. Our creative collectives of musicians and singers and technicians and guys, as well as posting some of this stuff out on Facebook, we started releasing some of the songs that we're doing as a church on YouTube as well. And we would love you to check that out. In fact, if you don't subscribe to our YouTube channel, we would love you to do that. And then you'll get notifications of these songs and these creative pieces as they come out on a daily, well, maybe not daily, but on a weekly basis. We'd love you to check that out. I've got a question for you um, today. Have you ever felt small? Have you ever felt kind of intimidated? You know, there are 7.6 billion people living on the planet. There's huge global issues on our TVs every single day. Maybe sometimes you've, you've been in an ocean or you've, or you've looked up at a mountain or you, you've just looked at creation around you and the world around you and you felt small and insignificant. Maybe almost like a nobody. And the question we're looking at today is how do we live well with the world? How do we live well with the world when actually for a lot of our lives we feel small or insignificant? And maybe it looks like there's so many giants around us compared to us. You know, David, who wrote many of the Psalms and the one we're looking at today, he also, he, he, he knew what it was to live with giants. He knew what it was to actually feel small. You see, one day David was, was at home with the sheep and all of his elder brothers were out with, a, with, with the army doing manly things and, and, you know, important things. But because he was the youngest, he was, he was at home looking after the sheep. And then his dad said to him, something like this is a paraphrase, hey, hey Dave, will you take these sandwiches to your brothers who are doing the real important stuff with the, with the battle? I mean, how, how small does that make you feel? And then when he get, got to the battlefield, he actually saw this huge giant, this huge giant of a guy called Goliath. And, and you kind of know all the story. And, and everyone else was intimidated by this Goliath. But David, who was the smallest and the youngest, he wasn't intimidated because he had a view of the world And he had a view of God that meant that even though he saw the giant, he saw God who was bigger than the giant. I don't know about you and I don't know what giants you're facing in your life right now. But you know, giants come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. There's the giants of situations. There's the giants within ourselves. Those issues that seem to kind of giant themselves over us and and lean and, and lurch over us. And they make us feel small and intimidated. And we say, how can we live well with the world when we feel so small? You might say, what has David and Goliath possibly got to do with Psalm 8? Well, interestingly, Psalm 8 in the Bible, it says it it this, Psalm 8, for the director of music, according to Gittith. I said that right. According to Gittith, what on earth is a Gittith? Well, a Gittith is a stringed instrument that comes from a place called Gath, which is exactly where this giant Goliath lived. And I think this is amazing. You only see it a couple of times in the Bible. It's almost like God is saying, I'm going to take you, David, to the very place where the giant comes from and the musical instrument that comes from the giant's home, you're going to use to create music that describes how great your God 
is. Isn't that incredible? Whatever giant is in your life, maybe God would get you to be able to actually create some music that actually describes how great and how huge your God actually is. And that is what Psalm 8 is all about. Before we dive into it, I want you to watch it. I want you to listen to it. This is from the Good News Version, one of the translations of the Bible. So just take a minute out right now, wherever you are, listen to the words, watch the images. This is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord. Your greatness is seen in all the world. Your praise reaches up to the heavens. It is sung by children and babies. You are safe and secure from all your enemies. You can stop anyone who opposes you. When I look at the sky which you have made, at the moon and the stars which you set in their places, what are human beings that you think of them? Mere mortals that you care for them. You made them inferior only to yourself. You appointed them rulers over everything you made. You placed them over all creation. Birds, fish, the creatures of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, your greatness is seen. It's an amazing psalm and I'm going to just dive into it now from the New International Version, just take you through the psalm and then I'm going to give you three points of application and by the time we're done today, I hope that you can go out and say, do you know what? I might feel small at time and there might be giants in my world and in my life, but I can live well with the world because of the truth behind this psalm. So let's look together. Psalm um, 8 verse 1, it says this, Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Here David uses two words, two Hebrew words for Lord. The one is Yahweh and the second one is Adonai. Yahweh was this kind of like mystical name. It was, like, it was, it was almost like Jewish people didn't wanna, couldn't speak it out loud. It was so reverent. It speaks of God who is ultimate, who is above. And yet the second word, Yahweh, means God who is my God. So David says, this God who is above everything is also my God. And then he says this, through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies um, uh, to silence the foe and the avenger. It's almost like David saying, kids get it. You know, kids are born with this innate idea that there is a God, that there is someone beyond um, their own understanding. And it's as kids get older that we, we, we kind of lose that and we get cynical or we get bitter or we get, we get jaded or we get hurt. In fact, I heard this great story of a kid and, and his family were atheists. And one day he said to his parents, um, do you think God knows that we don't believe in him? 
You see, when you're a kid, you're born with this idea inside of you because I think that's how we're created, that there's a God. And for many of you, maybe, maybe you used to believe that, but maybe you don't right now. Or maybe you're someone that says, yeah, well, I do believe it, but I don't really live like I believe it because maybe you've allowed the world or the giants in your world to knock that belief out of your system. David goes on to say, when I consider your heavens, this is amazing, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. So he's talking about the universe. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. When I was studying uh, this for today and I looked at this bit, I absolutely, I pushed away from my desk I have to say, I was overcome with emotion when I understood what this means. When it says, when David says, God is mindful of us. You see, now, I thought, okay, that means that we're on God's mind. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to someone, hey, I'm thinking of you. What does that mean? I'm thinking of you. Two minutes later, who is it again? And that's what it means. But that isn't what this word means. In the original Hebrew, when David says God is mindful of you, when in Hebrew, when God is mindful or when God remembers or when God brings anything to memory, it literally implies movement towards the object of God's memory. So when it says that God is mindful of us, it's not that we're just on his mind. It means, it implies that God is moving towards us because we are the object of his mindfulness. So I don't know what intimidation you're feeling right now as you watch and listen to this. What giants are stalking your land? But David wants you to know, and I think God wants you to know, God is mindful of you, which isn't that you are just on his mind. It means he's moving towards you. So on that day on the battlefield, while David runs at this giant Goliath, he's running at this giant Goliath because he knows that God is mindful of him. And he knows that if God is mindful of him, that implies that God is already on the move towards him. So whatever giant you're facing, you want to live well with the world, remember this, God is mindful of you, which means he is already moving towards you, which is amazing. And then David says, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the season. It's this, this wonderful world that, that we sang about earlier on or that Luke did in the band. And this wonderful world, God says, I've created this and I've given it you to look after. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. And then David ends as he began Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's like he bookends the psalm. He says, it doesn't matter how many giants are stalking your world, our Lord is majestic. His name is above every, and he bookends Psalm 8 with this incredible phrase. So what? So what? How does understanding this psalm help you and I to live well with the world? Let me give you three applications today. Number one, look up. Look up and be aware that there is a God who created this universe. Now, Let's address the elephant in the room right from the start. Some of you might be watching this whenever you watch it or wherever you watch it. And you might say, really? You want us to believe that there is a creator beyond the creation? I mean, surely science and all of that. In 1929, the Hubble telescope um, showed us that the universe was expanding and therefore the universe had to have had a point of origin. What is affectionately known as the Big Bang. 
Now, now what the Big Bang has done for many Christians is made us very defensive. It doesn't have to make us defensive at all. In fact, um, an associate professor of physics called Wersinger, he talks about the Big Bang and he says this, and it says, the Big Bang seems to, and I quote, give in to the Judeo-Christian idea of a beginning of the world. And it also seemed to have a core for an act of supernatural creation. It took time, observational evidence and careful verification of predictions made by the Big Bang model to convince the scientific community to accept the idea of a cosmic genesis. Listen to this. A successful model inspired itself on a reluctant community. You see, it's easy for us to deny evidence that points to a conclusion that makes us feel uncomfortable. It's like the evidence points us to somewhere that we just don't want to go. But you know, the opposite of this idea, uh, and there is another hypothesis, and it's called the nothing hypothesis. So was there a big bang? Yes. What created the big bang? Nothing. I want to say, I don't think that stacks up scientifically, philosophically, or experientially. And there's another way of looking at it. In fact, to actually think that, you know what, I can't quite get it all, but maybe someone or something started this whole thing called the universe. I mean, I think that's a valid point of belief. In fact, I think it's better than nothing. And Francis Collins, who's a scientist, who um, he actually was an award-winning scientist who mapped the human genome. He said this, the Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation. It forces the conclusion that nature had a defined beginning. I cannot see how nature could have created itself. Only a supernatural force that is outside of space and time could have done that. And guys, at this church, at Life Central Church, we love science. We value science. But do you know what? <laughs> science can tell us how, but only faith can tell us why. And I want to say to you, how to live well with the world means we look up and we get aware that this creation has a creator. And here is the big idea I want to leave with you today. Creation wants to connect us with the creator. David loved and lived in the creation so often. And as he was out there with the sheep and writing songs and psalms and all of that, he knew that creation connected him to the creator so that the day came when he had to take on his giant, he could do it because he knew that his God was mindful of him, which meant that he was already on his way. He looked up, he was an aware of the creation and therefore he was, an aware, he was aware that there was a creator behind the creation. Guys, if you've never thought about that idea, we'd love you to think about that right now. And actually our Alpha course, which I'll talk about a little bit later, is a great opportunity for you to ask questions about science and the dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff. We're not scared by any of that because as we look up, creation wants to connect us to the Creator. Secondly, I want to encourage you to look after Look after, to be responsible for this thing called creation. And I have to be honest, you know, I've been a church leader for many, many years, a follower of Jesus for many years. And this is an area of life that I haven't been so awake to or so alert to. And I want to thank some of the guys in our own church who've helped me uh, to start to go on a bit more of a journey around this. But the reality is, guys, that our global scene is not great. The temperature is rising. The ice caps are melting. 
The sea levels are rising. In fact, Jakarta, which is the capital of Indonesia, one of the biggest populated countries in the world, you know, they're looking at moving the capital of Indonesia because Jakarta is so much under threat by rising sea levels. And we see things all around us. Average wildlife has dropped by 60% over the last 40 years. More CO2 emissions right now than any other time in human history. We consume half of the world's yearly resources by July of every year. Tropical rainforests disappearing and the impact on people's lives is absolutely huge. Creation wants to connect us to the Creator. And our Creator said, I've given you this gift. Look after it. Take a little look at this. I was on vacation with my wife and we were staying on a small island for two weeks. And at the end of that time, we had a lot of waste, a lot of rubbish. And at that time, there was no waste disposal on the island. It all got thrown onto a beach. And in the act of throwing that rubbish onto the beach, I just had a deep sense of how God felt about what we were doing to his world and a sense of God challenging me. How do you think I feel about what you're doing to my world? And that was a completely new question and just made me go back to the scriptures and go back to find, well, why haven't I heard about this in church before? Uh, and to start doing something about it. The first commandment we were given as human beings on this planet is to care for God's creation. God took Adam and Eve, put them in the garden planet, and in Genesis 2.15, God said, work the soil, but look after it. So God's first commandment to the human race was care for my planet. The basic definition of environment is, is really that which surrounds those we love, that which uh, we are an embedded in the people that we love, the people that, uh, that Jesus died for. People often contest care of creation as something pagan, as, oh, you're going to worship the tree and not the creator. Um, but really, if we could um, understand uh, how much God loves the entire work of God's hands, then we see care for the trees and the birds and the plants and the water and the whole ecosystem as an expression of worship, as a gratitude to a God who created this beautiful, productive, useful, um, fruitful. Um, and we then can seek to engage in ways that will continue that fruitfulness rather than devastating it. And maybe you're already aware of all these issues and that's great, but maybe you're not. I want to encourage you, maybe just, just find out some stuff. In fact, there's a great website that I want to put on the screen right now called arocket.org. I want you to check that website out. And that organisation has been going for many, many decades. And they're, they're great at encouraging us just to look at what the Bible says and how we can respond actively to this whole issue of caring for the creation that God has put in our hands. And, and it says in Psalm 8 that, that God you know, has created all of that and given it to mankind of who he is mindful of, but given it to us that we would take care of this precious, precious gift. And I think maybe begin to take some steps, maybe just like recycling or looking at your consumption or looking at fair trade issues or where you buy things from or how much we actually need or how much we can give away, how much travel we do. All these issues are so important. And creation wants to connect us to the Creator. 
And the heart of God, I believe, is that not only are we rooted in an awareness of who He is, but also we are really deeply committed to looking after this incredible gift of creation. But I want to spend a bit more time on number three. So we're going to look up and be aware. We're going to look out and be responsible. And I want to encourage you guys, wherever and whenever you're watching this, to look in and be connected. And I want to talk about your soul for a few moments, okay? What is the condition of your soul? If creation wants to connect us to the Creator, you know, the, create, the Creator breathed life into the first man and the first woman, and He still wants to do that today. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, Alison and myself, we were, were out driving and we went up um, uh, the hill to Romsley, which is a village near, near where we live. People in the area will know that. And, and as we drove up the hill, um, all the cars were stopped and there were two women running frantically around the road. And uh, I wound the window down and the one woman came and she said, I've lost the horse, I've lost my horse. And uh, she basically had lost her horse and the horse had run off and, and just the panic on her face was tangible. And then this week, a really good friend... Uh, of ours uh, from the town sent me a message saying that she lost her dog. It's a rescue dog. And in the storms that we had a few days ago um, here in our area, the, do- the dog ran off. And, and so we've been sending messages out on Facebook and, and all of that. And, and, and yesterday she found the dog and the relief uh, on her face when she sent me a photograph. And, and she said, because she's a Christian, she said, if this, you know, we have been searching for this dog for four or five days. If this is anything like how God searches for people who are lost, And you know, I thought to myself, you know, God is mindful of us. And that means that he's always moving towards us. And when any of us are lost, like that lost horse or that lost dog, but you know what? Something that moves the heart of God even more than that is a lost person, a lost human being. And you know, you can be lost in lots of ways. You can be lost because you're out of relationship with God. But you can also be in relationship with God, but actually still living like you're lost because your soul is disconnected from the creator of your soul. David spent time not only just in creation, but being connected to the heart of his creator. He lived well because he looked up, he looked out and he looked in at his soul. You see, I think we live small lives because we live thin lives. What do I mean by that? I love this little quote from Bilbo Baggins. And it says this, I feel thin, sort of stretched like butter over too much bread. Anyone felt like that? Felt like you just were scraped out, you know, just your whole life feels scraped out. And you know, when you, when you butter your piece of toast and you can't get the butter to the end of the bread and you feel like that as a human being. I think we, we live small lives because we live crazy busy lives. You know, social media, which of course we all love at the moment and it's important to keep us connected. But you know, there are three giants that social media uh, creates, anxiety, depression and envy. It's like those three giants correlate to the amount of use of social media. That, That whole thing about anxiety and depression and envy. And we live small lives because we have no transitions anymore. You know, we go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And when we read the story of Jesus, and when we read the story of Jesus that, yeah, he was busy often. And we read, oh, he was busy here and then he was busy there. And and we think he went from one to the next to the next. What we don't realise is that the next one was in Galilee and that was three days walk. So he had time in that three day walk to to, to decompress, to to reconnect, to to have some downtime, to have some time with his mates and to have some time with his father and have some time for his soul to be refreshed and to be restored. 
And I've come to realise, guys, and I want to be honest with you, in the last few weeks, I've come to realise that my soul has become a little bit too thin, like butter scraped over too much bread. And a couple of weeks ago, I went away on a retreat um, just on my own for five days uh, just to do some business with God and to reconnect with my creator and with creation as well. And somebody um, brought me a book for my birthday and it's this book right here, which hopefully will come up on the screen as well. It's called Get Your Life Back. Anyone ever felt like that sentiment? Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge. I really want to encourage you guys to get a hold of this book. It is a transformative book. It certainly is that uh, in my life right now. And he talks uh, in the book about a couple of practices that I want to share with you. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this will be really important. Number one is he says, building pauses in your life. Because we go from one thing to the next to the next, we don't have any time to reconnect, to let our soul breathe again and to connect with our Creator. And in fact, um, I was looking at my phone then and it's gone. <gasps> yeah, in fact, on my phone, I've downloaded a free app that he talks about in the book. And it's literally called a pause moment. And so every day I set it for a couple of times a day and it gives me um, a, a kind of like a, a reflective uh, tool that I can use just to pause and to decompress and to connect again with my Father. And it's so, so important. I want to encourage you to do that. But the other thing that he talks about in the book, and this is so counterintuitive for me, okay, because I'm not like this at all. He talks about getting outside more. Now, we've all been outside a lot in lockdown. Remember at the start of lockdown, we all started doing walks and all that. But you know, the average person in the Western world spends, will spend 93% of their life indoors. So if you live to 100, you'll have spent 93 years of your life indoors, the average Western person. Can you imagine that? That's with the fake light and the artificial environment. And yet there is something life-giving and regenerative about being outside and being connected to creation and through creation being connected to the Creator. And in this book, John Eldridge says this, because life is a savage assault on our hearts, confidence that God is good. Beauty reminds us that there is still goodness in the world. I want to come off my notes for a moment. Um, the start of lockdown, my mom died. And then we went straight into lockdown. A uh, week after that, we had our first granddaughter born. Uh, and and we, we, we couldn't see for three months or whatever it was that we weren't allowed to see her. And um, so through that experience, then we're kind of trying to lead a church uh, and all of that. And I realised that there had been so much that I hadn't done in terms of allowing myself to grieve uh, for loss, etc. And so when I was on the retreat a couple of weeks ago, one of the things he talks about in the book is how to grieve your losses and your disappointments. And one of the things he talks about is the, the power of being real about those things, but also the the power of bringing those emotions to God and then the power that creation can bring to that. And so I decided to do something which is not like me because I'm a city person and I love being in coffee shops and all that and, and shops generally, all right? Uh, but I thought I'm going to get out in creation every single day and I'm going to walk. And as I was walking, I, I did a lot of coastal walks uh, around the coast of Dorset and um, sometimes in the sun and sometimes in the rain. But on this one day, which was the day that I'd set aside to, to really do some grief issues. And if you've lost your second parent, then you'll know that when you lose your second parent, often memories of the first parent that you lost, in my case, my dad 11 years ago, come back. But it was really, really life-giving because as I was talking about this with God and trying to release some of these emotions, I decided to listen to, not the normal music I listened to, but I decided to listen to some classical music. Because that's something that I've appreciated in the past, but I've let slip. 
And he writes about that in the book when he says there's something powerful about classical music and the beauty of creation, which just transcends you to a new space. And so as I was listening to this music, I was walking along the path one day. And as I got to this cliff overlooking the sea, the music went to my father's favourite piece of music. And, um, and as I listened to the music, I was a little bit of an emotional wreck. I don't know what I looked like to people that were walking past me. But I felt, I felt the smile of God. And I felt God's favour. And I felt the power of God's presence in my life. And all I can say to you, in that moment of creation with that beautiful music, something lifted on the inside of me. And I don't know, guys, what you're going through right now. I don't know what you're struggling with right now, but I know this. Creation wants to connect you to the Creator. But you know, there's, a, there's another reason why you and I need to stay connected to our Creator through creation as well. Because you see, here's the thing. When we look at creation all around us, and for me standing on that cliff that day and, and looking at the sea and creation and feeling the power of that music, it just reminded me again that, hey, I've got some grief and loss, haven't we all? There are some giants in my life, haven't we all got them? There's some uncertainty in my life, haven't we all got uncertainty? But here's the thought that impacted me that day. And yet God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, who is mindful of us, who's always moving towards us, towards us, has got it covered. And He holds all things together. And several years ago, a guy called Louis Giglio in the States did a tour of a, 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 of a teaching thing called Indescribable, where on a big screen, he showed people the, the, the majesty of the universe. And he's talking about uh, Psalm 33. And from the message, it says this, watch this, God's eye is on those who respect Him, the ones who are looking for His love. He's ready to come to their rescue in bad times, in lean times. He keeps body and soul together. And so he said, listen, the God who created the universe, He keeps body and soul together. And as he was speaking one night afterwards, a biologist came to him and said, Louis, you do know that there's evidence in science for what you're just saying, don't you? He said, I don't know that. What do you mean? He said, no, there's evidence. But you're saying that God keeps us all together, that God is at the centre of everything, that God holds this whole thing together. There's evidence in science for that. And Louis said, tell me what it is. And the biologist looked at him and he says, it's laminin. And Louis said, like you and I said, yeah, what on earth is that? He said, it's laminate. It's like a protein uh, nucleus. It's like an adhesive. It's, it's literally at the, at the core of every living organism. And it holds human beings and it holds everything together. And it's called laminin. And it looks like this. This is the diagram of it. And it's in the shape of a cross, isn't it? Which is impressive, but it's even more impressive when, impressive when you actually look at it through a really highly powered microscope because it looks exactly like this. And this reminds us of what it says in Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus is before all things and in Him all things now hold together. And so guys, when you, cre when you step into creation, when you take some minutes to pause in transitions, when you put your phone down and let your soul connect with your Creator, when you listen to a baby laugh, when you look at an ocean, when you, when you listen to a babbling brook or a river, when you look up to a mountain, what you do is you connect yourself to the One who holds it all 
together. And so guys, I wanna pray for you right now. Maybe you've got giants in your world. Maybe there are giants stalking your land. And I wanna pray for you that you would know God's presence right now. And guys, if you need prayer, there's people online that would love to pray for you right now in this moment. You can literally click on the link that's going to appear on whatever platform you're watching and they would love to pray with you and for you. But I want to pray for you as well. And then we are going to sing an incredible song that's been sung by millions of people over the last hundreds of years. And we're going to sing it together online. Because you know, all of this that we've got from our Creator God is all an act of incredible grace. Just creation itself is an act of incredible grace from our Creator God. So I want to pray for you that you would know the power and the provision of God, whatever giant it is that you're facing right now. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I want to pray for every single person who is watching this whenever and wherever they're watching. However small or insignificant they feel, may they know that you are mindful of them, which means that they're not just on your mind. It means that you're already moving towards them. And may they know your power, your provision and your presence. In Jesus' Name, I pray. Amen. Guys, I want to encourage you. Do all you can to let creation connect you to the Creator. And as we sing this incredible hymn, may He also, through this music and through this worship, connect you with His power and His love. This is Amazing Grace.